0: Alright, welcome everybody to episode I don't even know which episode we're on. Uh I think I lost track. I think we might be on episode eight. Um but this week uh situation happened where we don't actually have uh, Moeen and Alex with us were sad. Uh, some situations came up, some of our meetings came up, and neither of us, uh, uh, none of us could actually make it uh, on time. So today we're uh, we're going solo, and this is the first time I've ever done a solo. Uh, so it should be interesting. Uh, a couple things I got uh, on my little docket here. Uh, the first thing that someone recently brought up, which was a very good question, which was, why is it that some people, there are some people out there who backstab you and then smile in your face uh at the same time, you know, in the same, you know, they'll turn around the next day and see you and smile in your face or something like that. Or they'll actually literally like send you nice messages and then they're actually sending backstabbing you to other people, right? It, it could be in the same day. And by the way, everything that you think that other people do, We have to realize that we probably do it too, right? And they're as human as us. So we have to actually look at why is it that these things take place. And I actually have a uh, type of a theory, I guess, or explanation on why is it that uh, people do this. The reason, in my opinion, is that inside of their hearts or inside of people's hearts when they do this, and we, we should say inside of our hearts when we do this, is that there's an admixture of love and hate. Because our actions, right, or the actions of the person that we're dealing with, are both, are an admixture of actions that we love and actions that we hate. So when they're inside of their heart, there's an admixture of love and hate. Then at the same time, uh, inside of, uh, uh, then at the same time, our reactions are reactions of love and hate. Okay, so uh we 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 smile at them because they remind us of what we love, and then when we're sort of alone thinking about them, right, we think about the things that we hate and then we backstab them. But the guidance is that're we're, well we're not a people who just do whatever you know uh, comes to our minds, we have guidance, and the guidance tells us that we actually have to suppress what we uh, our reactions when when we hate someone. We have to suppress certain actions, and what those actions are, are backbiting, etc. everything that's lowly and filthy. Okay, as determined by the by, by the sunnah. Uh, suppressing is something that Freud made a huge deal about. Okay, uh, Freud, Freud, Sigmund Freud, his whole thesis is the idea of uh, suppression is destructive for human beings, and we actually make it tafsil. sealed. I don't know if he makes a tafsil. A tafsil is, uh, a seal is like a distinction. I, am not, I'm not aware if he makes a distinction, but it seems to me that he's a lot more broad in what he considers dangerous suppression than us. Uh, for us, uh, suppression is actually quite important and it's a lesson. It's, uh, um, discipline. It's good for society, right? You learn, you know, you learn the lesson of having discipline it's a practice uh, certain things have to be suppressed right and i don't care what society is you, you have every society has stuff that you have to suppress or that, i mean uh, flatulation is something that you would be expected to suppress in a boardroom right or wrong right so uh we would suppress backbiting we would suppress a lot of sexual impulses and desires all right um So, I'm looking here at some website here, Institute of Clinical Hypnosis. Oh my gosh, I don't know. Who is out there? Clinical Hypnosis. How many? What kind of people are out there? Let's see what they're saying about suppression. Suppression is a useful psychological mechanism. Here we force the unwanted information out of our awareness. We consciously choose to not indulge in a conscious thought, feeling, or action, even though we are aware of it. This permits us to focus on our affairs without being distracted by every impulse that arises and without having to act on those impulses. I think this wording is a little bit more cozy and friendly. Consciously choose to not indulge. That's actually a bit, it's putting it in a nice way. When I think of suppression and I think of a lot of the young Shabab, the young youth in our our community, when they suffer from the uh, fire inside of them of Uh, not being married, yet being surrounded by uh, skin, right? In their high schools, especially in the springtime, right? We're entering the winter, so it's a bit more merciful, but they're surrounded. There's no outlet. There's no um, way for them to engage in a permissible desire, right? Uh, Or in a permissible way. To choose not to indulge is not what those youth are doing, right? Those youth are oftentimes uh as it, uh, a lot of people have mentioned it um, you know it's like a burning fire inside of a person and the prophet ﷺ talks about it as holding a burning fire uh, inside and to me when when Muslims are forced to do this lowering of the gates and we are forced to suppress certain things okay uh, you develop such a stronger will right such a strong will that going forward in everything <clears throat> we should be a lot better right the people who are able to do this spiritual discipline and this is the hardest spiritual discipline right almar ibn khattab uh, his uh, um, assessment of what is the greatest deed is to stop yourself when you want to do a sin many sahaba said it's to uh, uh many sahaba said it's to uh, uh you know make a dhikr Pray to Hajjud, do fasting. No, he said it's to stop yourself when you severely want, all right, to do a certain sin. And uh, if, when, if you could stop yourself, right, if you could stop yourself from the strongest temptations that a human being has, and what are they? Well, Malcolm X even talked about this. He said, What is this? He used to ask people, What's the strongest temptation? And everyone would say, Sex. He said, No, it's food right? You put a hungry man in a room, right? Uh, And then after two days of no food, you give him a plate of food and a woman. He's going to take the plate of food, okay? So the idea of this uh, discipline that we need to have uh, on food is practice for what we think is stronger, which is uh, the sexual appetite which is all around people and I I really uh, always pray to Allah Azza wa that we're really the, are we are we one of the first generations to suffer this degree of sexual temptation all around us because yes in the past people were walking around probably not clothed there were probably many cultures like this but I mean you're not even dealing with humans these days you're dealing with images that are uh that are photoshopped you're dealing with girls who are suffering their self-esteem because of it, right? And that just tears me apart to see that, you know, you got, uh, you know, people who are uh, up against way more. Now, the men, for example, uh, for for men, it's the issue of temptation. But for women, I mean, it's destructive to constantly see ideals that they can't reach. And that's why one of the things about uh, one... Uh, Sister once told me, we, ones are in SOAS, the University of London, and we used to have a halakha of the 40 no hadith every Friday night. So the halaqah got big, too big for the room. So one of the brothers had to find a solution, right? So the solution that he found was to rent the room next door to put a mic and a speaker. And here I am in London, where people are, you know, a little bit more, I would say, on the liberal side of things. Than on the you know conservative side, and, and I don't even really like to use those words because Muslims really don't have liberal and conservative. We have opinions in fiqh that we follow or don't follow, right? So, but anyway, I was like, I don't know how this is going to go down. The sisters, they're probably going to rebel. Something's going to happen. Uh, we did it the first day. Turns out the they loved it, right? And I I got the surprise of my life, right? They loved it, and one of the things that the feedbacks that came back is that. When you have an all sisters environment, right? When you have an all sisters environment, uh there's no a lot of the competition, the unspoken uh hierarchy of of, of the within them it disappears. And I, I would say the same thing is with the brothers. If you have any mixed gathering where the two genders see each other, there's going to be certain features within the person that rise to the top, right? That rise to the top. If you're doing video for example, the format of video, you need intelligence, voice, and looks, beauty. You need to be beautiful. If you were to remove video from the format and say audio only, all of a sudden, voice and intelligence are the only two factors, right? How you look doesn't matter on radio, right? Now, once you remove audio and you make the entire format to be books, the written word, then you are down to one factor. You're down now to one factor, which is intelligence, right? So if you notice, formats make a lot of difference. And the format, the idea of uh, uh, gender segregation and gender separation, it actually alters everything, right? Because when you're with a bunch of guys, no one, you, you don't get any points for being cute, right? Whereas when it's guys and girls, all of a sudden, you do right, whether we like to say it or not, okay, and I'm telling you, I've been in, when I started working in the masjid, uh, around 20, middle of the year 2012, May 1st, 2012, uh, and even before that, I was working in a different masjid, but day in and day out, your main location is a suburban mosque, because before that, I worked in New York City, so you're walking in the middle of the most stylish uh, city in the world, walking to your masjid there, but You're in the suburb. You get in your car. You hardly see anybody. You don't see anyone. And in the suburban area, right? You see normal people. Okay. You don't see like highly fashionable people. You don't even see a lot of youth. You see normal people, right? Regular people come in, come to the masjid, bring their kids. You go to the supermarket. You're at the traffic light. It's all average. So what you're exposed to all of a sudden is very different. Okay. It's very sober. And let me tell you something. I went to an Islamic conference after that. I'm telling you, to me, that was a fitna. It was, to me, a fitna. Because all of a sudden, you have all these young people. Everyone's decked out. And yes, I'm not uh, I'm not uh, accusing people, but that's the reality, right? You walk in and you realize, oh my gosh, the actual Islamic conference has become a type of uh, test. It's become a type of test of lowering the gaze, right? And honestly, I felt like, you know, like I took a step back like from the environment of the masjid and the su- suburban area, right? Uh, to this conference, it was like, wow, it's like took a step back almost. Right. So the point is, uh, we've been uh, wandering around here, but we're making points here. We're talking about important things, and they're all, you can sew them together. Now, when we're talking about this gender, we got to bring up the main elephant in the room, which uh, it has to do with these accusations, right? And it's become now almost, I guess, a fashionable, I have to say, uh, to accuse people uh, of public shaming. Is, is a sport now. I would say it's a reality TV type of thing. Now, here is where we have a problem. If you make any statement against or in criticism of the way that this public shaming is going on, the way that people are being attacked, okay? It's as if people, they hear that and they interpret that as if you are now not supporting the victims anymore. You are silencing them. You are delegitimizing their claim and you're supporting these guys who are doing all these bad things, okay? I have a simple thing to say about this, number one. Firstly, firstly, we have to break out of this dichotomy by starting to look at two things. On the uh, public side of things, I don't see how uh, going on public forums like Facebook and Twitter and shaming people has brought benefit, however right i ha- I see enough uh, uh, an immense amount of benefit when people simply repeat and focus upon an issue and create like a type of cultural awareness when you go on an awareness campaign okay when when leaders who are who have influence discuss amongst themselves there's this X y z is going on a lot of bad things are happening I'm telling you as your colleague. We need to emphasize this. Please emphasize this, right? And then through constant... And, and by the way, the system, uh, Muslim Matters, uh, the editor of Muslim Matters, her name is skipping my mind right now. Uh, her, stuff, her stuff is good. Her tweets are good. Um, SubhanAllah, I can't remember. I can't believe I forgot her name at this moment. But the editor of Muslim Matters, when the whole situation happened with Naq, she said, we were handling this thing, Right? And a camp you could tell that a campaign was starting, right? There was an active campaign. And it could take time. Campaigns could take time. Awareness campaigns can take time. I am all for that. I am not denying that there is abuse going on, right? But I am simply noting that once you start flinging mud at people, once you start naming names, once you start doing public shaming of people... You transform the subject away from the victims and into a, uh, a, a a boxing match between the supporters of that person and those making the accusations. That's not the issue, right? The issue is the behavior. Do you want to destroy someone or do you want to, to, to create an awareness campaign, right? And that's really what you want. You want awareness. And when I look at this, I find it sort of funny because for quite a while, the more Young Muslims went into academia and got sophisticated and got a little liberal and got a little loose. The idea of talking about gender relations became so unfashionable, extremely unfashionable, right or wrong, right? It became like if you gave a a MSA talk on gender relations, it was like, whoa. But when we look at this situation, right, when we look at this situation, what is it other than gender relations, Right? What are we adjusting? We're adjusting how imams deal with uh, young ladies. Well, why should it stop at imams? How about everyone? Right? How about e- how everyone deals with everyone? I mean, there are a lot of people of power, right? There, there are a lot of people who have uh, some kind of authority over people, right? So uh, the entire issue is one of gender relations. And really, when I when I look at this subject, I am still. Until now, trying to find out what solution is out there that hasn't already been documented in the code of conduct of the sunnah between men and women, right? I'm trying to find what's new. There is nothing. Oh, okay. Maybe WhatsApp, right? Maybe how you text, okay? Because technically speaking, the past and the fuqaha in the past would have not, and by the way, not all of them, but I definitely have seen certain rulings that khilwa, which is to be alone with a man and woman, was deemed to be merely physical. Okay? That writing a letter back and forth would not have counted as a khilwa. However, we have big ulama one of the... Uh, uh, I think it was... Uh, I, I really don't want to mem- mention names. I can't remember who it was, gangohi or Ashraf Ali Tanvi. One of them, if he received a letter from a student who was a female... Okay, he had a type of rule that he that if he had a female student wrote him a letter or for a fatwa, okay, that her husband needed to sign off as well, okay, and he would address the letter to the husband and the wife so or her father right and her so that it would not be seen as a private communique, right, and so if he's doing that with written letters, then email. Texts, WhatsApp, what have you? Private message, all that. Sh- it should be the same, right? It should be the same. And on all my public notific- public uh, things, like my Twitter, uh, my Facebook, I don't have. I have a lot of people on these things, right? I have probably four people have access to the public pages, right? My uh, Facebook page, the Twitter. They don't always read the messages, but they do see what's there. And I think that Facebook has actually done something where you can't even delete private messages anymore. I noticed that, at least on the public page, right? Like there are people who send me like some, you know, hate mail or something. I try to delete it. You can't even delete it. I noticed that. I've been getting a lot of uh, hate messages from atheists these days, which I don't know whether that means nothing to me, right? Uh, I would be a lot more hurt to get hate messages from other uh, believers, I expect it from atheists. I mean, what do I expect? Flowers from them, right? I, of course, they're gonna send me hate messages. And we got, uh, on Twitter as well. And this is why Twitter to me is a, a format that's, uh, uh, I think a lower format because it does allow for fake accounts. Uh, Twitter allows for fake accounts. It's very hard to make a, a fake Facebook account. It's actually very hard to do that. Uh, what I noticed is that, uh, they, Facebook is a lot more vigilant on making sure you're a real person. Uh, and it's harder to make uh, fake accounts, uh, from what I've seen, if they've loosened it up, I think it's going to ruin it because the dialogue is so trashy when nobody knows who you are. When you do, when you have a face and you know who you are and everyone knows who you are and you have all your connections there, not only do you have to mind the content of your speech you have to mind the manner of your speech because in Sharia, in the Sunnah, uh, al kalam al jarih, harmful speech, like hurtful speech, the hurtful tones in your language is as sinful as poor content, as, as bad content. So you might not be backbiting someone, but if you're, uh, hurtful in the way that you speak, right, then that's equally, uh, sinful. Uh, so when we're talking about this issue of of, of actually uh, this public shaming, someone sent out a, put out a tweet the other day, which I think was brilliant. They said that, hold on a second, uh, the system that uh, uh, brought the world public shaming doesn't care about extramarital affairs, right? They don't care about it. The, they, they don't have the same morals that we do, right? And us, the system that inappropriate behavior is not a sexual uh, inter, uh, uh, extramarital affair. That's off the cliff, right? For us, inappropriate behavior is merely extending your gaze more than you have to. That's to us inappropriate behavior. Well, in this system, right? If that's the system that we're on, well, that system doesn't support public shaming. And here we have a prime example of this odd, bizarre, odd ad mixture of two ethical systems, right? the liberal system which advocates and uses, you know, these social justice warriors with their public shaming, okay? And exposes of people's sins and wrong actions, okay? And then our system of the Sunnah with our morals is a lot more strict in terms of what's appropriate and appropriate, but we don't allow for public shaming. And here you have the two coming together in... Uh, a number of scandals, the knock scandal being one. And now you have this, this phony, uh, I, I, I don't see any evidence for it at all. Unless someone has evidence that I don't see, um, accusation of Tariq Ramadan, which to me is just absolutely meaningless. You may, you, you write a book and then you're, you're selling copies by, uh, uh, you know, uh, accusing, uh, multimillionaire, uh, uh, of stuff uh, that, uh, Uh, if that was the case, really, why don't you go to the police? I'm wondering. Subhanallah. So this is the thing. So at the same time, we have to, we have to have this mature stance of bridging both balances, that there are manners of, there's, there are ways of doing things. Right. And that doesn't necessitate that we are denying the realities of what's going on. Um, We, that would be a disaster. And um, let me tell you that both extremes are a disaster for one person, the victims, the, if 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 uh accusations keep going out there and get thrown out there and are baseless like this uh uh message that i got that there's going to be accusations of 200 uh scholars and imams for potential spiritual abuse i don't even know what that means if you help me understand potential spiritual abuse okay uh firstly the term spiritual abuse by itself needs uh, defining and how could you accuse someone of potential something okay now if the if you throw out basis accusations on the one hand and on the other hand you reject all accusations you are doing one and the same thing which is watering down the real justified true victims and their accusations okay they're both being what one is rejecting and one is watering it down okay the outright rejection of a thing and then watering down a thing. Okay. Uh, and this is happening for, in, in everything that happens. Okay. For example, religion. On one hand, you have atheists and the other hand, all religions are true. Both of them nullify the actual idea of a tr- one true religion. Okay. Both of them nullify Bitcoin at the level of Bitcoin. You got the Bitcoin on one hand, sort of democratizing money and uh, decentralizing, uh, currency. Now how do the banks can't fight it? They can't stop it. The only way to stop it would be shut shut down, you know, uh, crash the internet, which that would change the world, right? So that, that would destroy them too. So they can't stop it. So what are they doing? They are promoting, okay? They are promoting so many different other cryptocurrencies so that they're flooding the market so that no one cryptocurrency will uh, rise to the surface. This is a strategy. This is a strategy of the banks, Okay. Uh, there are so many cryptocurrencies out there that they're pushing, so they water them all down, right? And and, they, and the only way that Bitcoin can truly hurt the banks is uh, be, by becoming mass, by becoming a normal thing in everyday life that people buy and sell with, then it will really hurt the banks. And I have another question about that, is that if all of our buying and selling, even 10% of buying and selling occurs through crypto, then how do the governments get their taxes, right? And how, the government's going to collapse. So this is why they're trying to uh, put a capital gains tax on uh, Bitcoin. Well, Bitcoin's another subject, and I didn't know that Maureen and Saad were economists, so they're going to get on that. So back to our topic, drowning it out, okay, with these baseless accusations, at the same time having this old world mentality of, uh, uh, you know, rejecting all possible uh, accusations. No, I know these sheikhs are infallible. No, right. You got to find a middle, you got to find a middle uh, ground for this. So, uh, so this is one of the things that I had brought up. And actually one of the things that I wanted to do is, and we want to do this uh, in the future. It's not going to happen now. uh, But in the future, some of the sisters from Safina society are going to come on and share their uh, perspective on the matter which I think is very important uh, to hear their perspective on the matter. I think that um, anyone who has, uh, okay, anyone who has uh, any interest in uh, the best interest, any females in their family will take this matter seriously. It's not a, a joke issue. Uh, the idea that, uh, you know, maybe people that you thought were well-behaved, well, maybe they're not, Okay. Uh, would I say it's, uh, you know, these are sexual predators and rapists? Uh, at that point, war, we, we, you we got to have evidence. Otherwise, it's Bhutan. It's sufficient for you to say, listen, the person who I thought was more uh, appropriate in his behavior, maybe he's not. So we take measures. Uh, for example, in our masjid, it's, uh, at MBIC, there is not an inch of the masjid, okay, in which there it's not uh, uh, recorded. Everything's recorded. Right. There's like cameras everywhere. My office, the entranceway is recorded and you could actually tell who's going in the office at the same time. Right? obviously the bathrooms have nothing, right? Uh which you, who who knows, maybe that'll become a problem too later on, right? So uh uh these are some basic measures. You have uh daughters, you have children, you try to take basic measures, right? You you know, uh Maybe we should think twice. I'm telling you, I was against these formats to begin with. I never liked these formats of these conferences. Let me tell you. Let, get, believe it or not, I've been around doing this stuff for a couple of years now. Do you know I've been to literally two conferences, right? Two conferences. As a speaker, two conferences. As an attendee, I have not been to 10 conferences. Let me tell you. From my youth, from 19... 90 I would say 1993, 94 or something or, or five wait let's say, let's say the conference started getting serious and hip in 96, 95, 96. They ninety six. They're like you know, filled with all these cool people, okay? Before that it was like Maya Muslim Arab Youth Association. And you were sort of there and maybe you made a couple friends, but there were no cool people. There were everyone was first generation immigrant, right? So uh uh, and I'm saying cool people as like, you know, people that we would relate to. Believe it or not, I had, I have not been a big conference goer. I have not been to 10. I can only tell you maybe seven. And from the seven, f- three or four were like one day conferences. Okay. The unity conferences that uh, Imam Zaid w- used to put together in New Haven um, and New York. I've probably been to like three of those I have never been to a full ISNA conference. I've been to one evening of an ISNA conference because I got in for free to be a shadow for Imam Zaid uh, way back when I was like 21 years old. right? To be a shadow. And that was only because my roommate was involved. I'm not a big conference guy. I don't feel much benefit, to be honest with you. I always felt that this scene, it, 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 it goes against uh, its contrary to the feeling of sincerity of actual just classes, right? And I'm big on classes. I'm huge on classes. Everyone should be taking... The heartbeat of a a Muslim's life is they should consider it classes, not conferences, classes, okay? And by the way, I'm not taking an extreme position. I don't take any extreme positions. I never say something is haram, something is bad. Uh, Tomorrow, if I feel that there's some benefit to a conference, I'll go, Right? Uh, as a, as a speaker or as an attendee, I have no problem being an attendee. I'm not, it's a good, uh, uh, you know, these speakers, they get used to just having the mic all the time, talking, 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 right? Well, it's good for the ego to sit and listen sometimes. I have no problem with that. I'll go listen, right? I'll just go be with the Jamaat. But, uh, that, if I felt good in general, I don't feel, okay, that these things are, are really great. Uh, 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 I feel that there's a lot of showing off. There is a lot of, uh, and I'm not saying purposeful showing off. I'm saying that just by virtue of having a lot of people in the same space, okay, results in showing off whether you know, like it or not. And the Quran has many proofs of this, right? The Quran saying, sit down, methna wa furada, ma bi sahibikum min jinnah, all right? What this ayah says is, oh could I sit in ones and twos, like by yourself, one person, two people, three people, four people, right? And then think about your friend, your companion, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, right? And realize that he is not insane, right? Okay, why is that? Simple reason: when you sit one, two, and three, and four, you're a lot more honest. Okay, when you're in a big group, you always the standard of what you look for is always like, what is everyone going to like? right? What is everyone going to approve of? So by sitting in small groups, it's a lot more sincere. Okay, You're a lot more ikhlas when people sit uh, in small groups. Okay, So think about this idea of small groups versus large groups. And let me give you another hadith from Ibn Kathir. Uh, uh, Ibn Kathir's section on Sayyidina al-Khidr. Is it Ibn Kathir? Yeah, I believe it's Ibn Kathir. That one of the advice, yeah, it's it's Ibn Kathir. One of the advice that Al Khadr gave to Sayyidina Musa is to avoid the large rabbles of people. Avoid the large rabbles of people. Okay? So when you see a big rabble of people, avoid them. Right? Don't sit with them. Don't go there. Why? It has a negative impact on your ikhlas. Okay. It has a negative impact on your ikhlas. There is no doubt about it, okay? That it has not that that sitting in a large group versus in a small group, that sitting in a small group is 1000% more conducive to ikhlas, to sincerity, okay? And linking to that now, I want to bring up another subject, which is the issue of peer pressure and it's very similar to what we've just been talking about, okay? Very similar to what we've just been talking about. Uh, peer pressure is these day and age. It is uh, all over the place. It is not merely in this classroom anymore. I remember when I was young, there were times where you could you could uh, have a bad situation of peer pressure, right? And then you take that family trip somewhere and you totally forget about everything. You forget about the people who bothered you. You forget about the people who annoyed you. You forget about everything, right? Okay? And that type of peer pressure, today, that doesn't happen because of everything, how everything is online, okay? The way everything is online, you can no longer escape, okay, the peer pressure, because it's not the type of peer pressure that's just in the schools anymore. It's the peer pressure that's online. All right. And this even affects adults. Okay? It affects adults. And here it is. It's Hina Zuberi, uh, editor of Muslim Matters. And Hina Zuberi even talks to adults. She says to them, In your quest to normalize Islam, because people every the nature of people is we want to be normal. Okay. We want to be like everyone else. This is the norm of human behavior. Right? The Sharia comes and tells us. Part of your test as a Muslim is that you will at some point not be like everyone else. Okay. And you have to embrace that. If it is something that your God asks you that at this moment or on this subject, you will not be like someone else, like everyone else, you have to embrace it. It's part of our test. Okay. Do the believers think they could say they believe and not be tested? Right. One of the biggest tests is the test of loss of popularity. Okay. And that's the whole idea of the ghuraba, the, the strangers. Okay, is that there are so there become a there comes a time when, on so many different angles, the Muslim is different from the Kafir, right? On so many different angles, he's different from the Kafir, and as a result, the larger society of disbelievers are in total rejection of him, right? He is odd in their presence. Okay, he's odd in their presence. She says, in your quest to normalize Islam, be careful not to normalize Shaitan, right? because out there when you go out there when you try to normalize everything the norm today okay is i have to say it's fisk, right it's fisq the norm today okay is something that in in regular sunni manners would be considered kharij an kharij al-adab khilaf al-adab right it opposes good manners it opposes up uh, appropriate behavior right so the uh youth today when you deal with young people who are having a peer pressure crisis, there was this excellent advice that a sheikh once gave to certain people who moved to New Mexico. I don't know if a lot of Muslims know this, but uh, way back in the day, probably early 80s, in Abiqui, Abiqu- New Mexico, a certain, a certain group of Muslims went out there and built up Darul Islam. And Darul Islam was an adobe structure. Uh, that had homes and uh, a masjid and it had uh they would actually build everything they tried to actually do a complete cut from society so they were literally they had carpenters build the furniture and you bought it by raising like a goat and then trading like a goat for a table for example or someone sewing clothes and then you traded a shirt for like a chair or something like that All Right, so uh, they tried to do this, and they homeschooled their kids and everything. The a sheikh came from Turkey uh, and gave them some advice, and he actually ended up writing them a letter, which ended up becoming uh, a book uh, that was uh, that I found one time in the University of L- uh, London SOAS Library, and I took the book out and I remember Subhanallah reading it on Eastern Ave while I was walk or uh, Houston Road uh, when I was walking one day to the bus stop. And he had full of wisdom. He said, whenever you make a rule, whenever you do anything, don't just look at the now, look at the blowback, right? Look at the pushback. And so with children, whenever our children are having a peer pressure crisis moment, it is very important. What he said was use language, which is vast. Make the matter seem, even if it can't be, make it seem extremely vast, okay? Make it look like everything's fine, everything's okay, right? So sometimes, you know, sometimes uh, we don't have TV and sometimes, uh, you know, one of the kids, he wants to watch something on TV, right? And he sees all his friends are watching these episodes, right? So how do we react? I, what my reaction is at that moment, once you sense that, like that panic that he's disallowed everything, you have to use words that remove that. By saying, oh, yeah, you can watch anything you want. Right? I say, yeah, what do you want to watch? You watch whatever you want. Oh, really, when? Uh, whenever you want, right? We'll work it out. So you it's very important for Muslim families out there. And, and I was tempted to say conservative Muslim families. But why should I say that? I should just say Muslim families, right? That's enough. We don't have this idea of uh, conservative and liberal on things, right? Just you're a Muslim family. There are certain things you don't do, right? Uh, certain things we don't do. So on those matters, you have to make it seem vast, uh, right, and open, okay, and you have to make it look uh, and make the kid never, ever feel closed, right, I mean, look at the, even the earth, how, how, how small is our earth, and that we're actually literally, like, trapped on the earth, if you think about it, right, and the Prophet even said, uh, dunya sejunul mu'min, it's a jail of a believer, because there's so many don'ts, right, but if you actually look at the earth, you look up, you feel this vastness, even though you're trapped on the earth. But you, Allah doesn't make us feel trapped. You look out there, you feel like it's vast, right? Fields, big fields, mountains, right? The sky is limitless, so you feel the vastness. So this is a technique and a tactic that you know, young Muslim uh, parents uh, can really think about and really apply for themselves. Is that at when you're, uh, and I hope that people have rules. Uh, you know, some people are weak. Some people, their kids make the rules. And I think that's pathetic. And I think you're harming them. And I actually believe in uh very simple living, right? That uh, our living should be on books. uh There should be very as little technology as possible, right? And then at the moment that you feel that there's like a little panic attack, then you open the door, right? Yeah, uh, right. You have a certain time for watching what you want to watch. And of course, that's obviously what you... uh, uh uh, approve of and find to be decent for, you know, young Muslim kids to be watching. But you make it sound and feel very open. Right? And and I think that one of the things that has kept a lot of people out of trouble that a lot of... I, I could speak as... I could say a lot of Arabs. I don't know about a lot of daisies, but a lot of Arabs. And I don't know about the other cultures. But I can tell you that, in general, the Muslim culture is not a hardcore study culture. And I think that... Uh, Focusing on schooling is a great way to... It's Not not only is it good in many ways, it, it keeps you out of trouble, right? I think that we philosophize a bit too much. We're, at least American Muslims, we focus so much on the nature of schooling. I mean, it is such a, a type of privileged approach where we talk a lot about the nature of education, the, how the child feels, right? When I look at the successful people of today, I don't see that that's what they're talking about. I see that whatever system they're given, they take the books and they study the books until they've studied them inside out and they ace all the exams, right? And they know stuff, they're smart, they're intelligent, and they're going on to be all of the uh, you know tech companies and they're dominating all these tech companies. They're dominating even in, in field of uh, humanities, uh, in writing, etc right and that's uh, and i'm talking about the chinese and the indians and if you think that the chinese and indians are only stuck in uh the uh techno uh tech fields you're wrong right because they're advancing way beyond that right they're becoming authors right they're uh uh they're getting into the humanities they're getting into entertainment they're getting into media they're getting into law right and in their cultures they don't sit there complaining about the nature of education. And we do. We sit there and philosophize. And mashallah, there was a a homeschooling movement in the past, and I'm not against homeschooling, right? But what I am against is putting the focus on the nature of the education. Why don't you just take the system you're given and work hard, right? And bust your chops. You know, what is so hard about that? When it comes to focus, okay, when it comes to focus... I have a rule of thumb, and it's based on my observation of successful people, is that anything that's worth doing is worth doing for an hour. For an hour. If, uh, you want to, if your goal is to avoid disaster, then 20 minutes will help you avoid disaster. Okay? So in health, in dhikr, in studying, 20 minutes helps a person avoid disaster. Okay. So if you do 20 minutes of exercise a day, you will avoid disaster. The disaster being, being physically unfit, right? Being really unfit. If you do an hour, I think that's the least if you're serious in, in studying in dhikrillah. I think dhikr is very important to be a normal part of life. If you, if there's a guy exercising somewhere, right? Is that normal behavior in today's world? Yeah, of course it is, right? Eating, normal behavior, 100%. Studying, 100%. Checking up on your social media accounts. Yeah, it's normal behavior. Not Maybe not virtuous, but normal, right? Why isn't dhikr a normal behavior? Right? Someone unwinding and playing video games. Someone watching, catching up on their favorite show on the couch with uh, popcorn. Normal behavior or not, yeah, normal behavior no one's going to say it's, it's it's sort of weird, right uh, I picked those two because they're solitary behaviors. watching TV, playing video games. they're completely solitary like you could do it in a group, but many people they sit there doing it alone, right or wrong. Dhikrila. Dhikr, though is considered whoa, what are you doing? Are you joining a group? are you are you okay? Is something in your life going wrong? Should I expect you to be, you know, growing a big beard and, and strapping a bag to your chest tomorrow, right? It's like all these red flags rise up when a person starts to do this solitary behavior, which is called vicar, right? And I think that it's, we got to dismantle that. It's got to be dismantled. There should be no problem Is hold on, I got to go catch up on my thicker. Okay, leave him alone. Don't disrupt him. Some people will go out of their way to disrupt you in your thicker because they feel uncomfortable with you doing the, They just, there's something that agitates them about it, right? Okay. And we have to, we have to fight against that. if, could, if you, you, we need more than ever before emphasis on this matter. More than ever before the temptations are out there. The distractions are out there, right? Uh, the inability to, the, I mean, the, the life is moving so quick, so quick. Technology is changing. If you own a business, if you are in any industry, just to stay alive, you just to stay in your industry, you need to, okay, you must stay up to date, right? And staying up to date might take you, you know, uh, it might take you, you know, a couple hours a day of just uh, keeping up to, with the with the technology, right? So uh the idea that uh you, we feel that we're so distanced from the heavens because the the world, earthly life is taking up so much time, okay? It's taken up from us so much time and it feels like if I'm not online 24 hours a day, the world might pass me by and I may find myself unemployed, unemployable, okay? You know? And how many times do people feel that? And I think a lot of it's from shaitan. And I think that a lot of times what people have to do is realize that we waste so much time. Right? You can't tell me you don't waste time. You can't tell me. Right? And and you know what? And I myself, I blame myself. I don't know. So many facts that are in my head tell me that I waste a lot of time. Like I know who this guy Atkins, what's his name? or Atkins I don't know back back in the day when I had a little bit more free time and I used to study on uh, I used to write all night and then I would get tired and I would uh, get my popcorn out and I would watch these ridiculous uh videos of this guy Atkins okay uh Atkins or whatever doing these pranks okay him and his roommate you know doing these pranks okay and I would just you know they they were pretty funny All right, some of them were stupid, but some of them were funny. But the fact that I have that in my head, to me, tells me, oh my gosh, you wasted a lot of time. So we do waste time. So you don't, dhikr is, this is one of the tricks, okay, of shaitan to make you feel that, oh my gosh, you're doing dhikr. No, 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 you need to be working. Right? No, no. You have to get in our heads. We all have to get in our heads that to do an hour of something like dhikr is harmless. It will not affect you. In terms of, uh, it will not affect you in terms of losing out on anything. Okay. And uh, when it comes to studying, exercise stuff, we should be looking at an hour. If you have a kid, the studying that they should be doing should be hour to 90 minutes, right? Per session. Because we need to have, a, Muslims need to revive the study culture. We seem like we are so obsessed with uh, actually getting ahead or I don't know what or uh, being, uh, uh, you know, getting our culture in or, or, you know, being up to date with culture, making sure our kids feel good. Right. And this is to me, it's a disaster. Right. To me, it's a disaster, because when I look at when I see what's going on, our kids will not compete with the Chinese and Indian kids. Right, they will not compete. It's just as simple as that. And I worry that if their dunya starts failing on them, when the dunya fails, people's iman itself, right, suffers. Either people give up hope or they go to extremes. And part of the idea of protecting iman is not just studying issues that are her- the heresies that are out there. Part of studying, uh, of protecting iman, is protecting our dunya as well. This is a very important point that I think people should really think about. And I'll repeat it: the 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 notion of protecting our iman is not just about negating shubuhat or the doubtful matters and discussing all these subjects that we usually discuss, but rather, right, the focusing on our dunya, our dunya itself. We need to make sure that the next generation of our children are fully equipped, okay, to 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 earn a a, a halal, valid, sound, pure livelihood, because this increases confidence, it removes in uh, dependency, it removes a lot of mental bugs when your kids are unemployed. And they're being, uh, beaten out by everyone else. It's going to change how they think about everything from themselves to their religion, right? Either they drop it all or they go to extremes. And every extremist, very uh, rarely, right, do you find a highly successful person that goes to join ISIS? It's always someone who's failing miserably in life. So uh, my advice to anyone who's a parent out there, if you've got your kids in on 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, these are the ages where they should really be uh, studying hard, right? And live a an, uh, I, I, very simple life, right? You got your school, you got your books, you got your... Now they're going to go and they're going to see all these friends who have all this stuff, right? And you have to make sure that the strategy is to limit the stuff but not make it feel limited and not use words of limitation and explain to them. And I do explain to them, right? I do explain to them that, and they get it and they respect it and they respect the fact that they're they're being respected when they're told, listen, this stuff is not good for your brain. You might want it now, but in the future, right? If you have wasted your time and just got, Mediocre grades, okay. You're gonna, you're not gonna be happy in the future. But if you sacrifice now, okay, and you don't look at these things now, right, and you don't waste your time with these things now, and you bite it a little bit, right, you know, get through it, you are going to have the results you want in the future. And I believe that, the, you know, this is a. a, a I, I believe that they accept it, right, and it's tough. And there's got to be that. Um, what Mustafa Davis. One time, I was sitting with him, and he is older than me, so he has his kids were older, and so he was actually we're chit chatting and I was saying, "Listen, you know what's it like?" Uh, and he said that his dad gave him amazing advice. He said, "Be consistently inconsistent." And he was like, "What?" He's like, "Yeah, be consistently inconsistent because if you have a set of rules that are so rigid, okay, it's uh, impossible to live in such a household." And if you have no rules at all, it's harmful to live in such a household. So you're in between harmful and impossible, right? So the middle is to have rules like a picket fence, that the rules of the house be like a picket fence, where the picket fence, if you have a picket fence, you you know you're fenced in, but you don't feel like you have no clue what's on the other side or that the air can't get through or suffocate it. So he said that, for example... He would sometimes come home, you know, six minutes late and his dad would blow a gasket. And then the next day he comes home, you know, twelve minutes late or an hour late. And his dad just, you know, ask him a basic question. Hey, what's going on? What's, why are you so late? So consistently inconsistent. So that there they know there are rules, but it's not so rigid, okay, that it's impossible to, to coexist with. And it's funny because the more you study fiqh, when I study the madhahib, I find this in the madhahib. I find that the madhahib in certain matters are so difficult, yet in certain matters so easy. Right? For example, wudu. There's no madhab easier in the conditions of wudu than the Hanafi madhab. right? I mean, you don't even need the intention to make wudu. Just by getting wet on the four limbs, you have wudu. That's it. Simple as that. Right? However, a paper cut breaks your wudu. You know? A paper cut breaks your wudu. Uh, in 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 Madhab, sleeping, sleeping only heavy sleep breaks your wudu. So you could be in the masjid, you pray two rak'as of fajr, right, of 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 the sunnah of fajr, or you're done at tahajjud or something and you 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 doze off, like literally a very light dozing off, but you it wasn't a heavy sleep. You can get up and pray. That sounds pretty easy, right? But then. You don't realize that in the Maliki Madhab, Imam Malik does not accept the rule that a tanning leather purifies it from being najasa. So the leather that a Muslim wears when he prays, right, has to be the biha. You know how hard that rule is? Like, So he could wear it, but he can't pray with it on. Because it's najas. Imam Malik, he gave a ruqsa that you could use it, Rachas of Istiamadi, right? However, it's still considered najis, unless it was from a mudekkah or the biha animal. Right? So that's a pretty hard rule, right? So in the madhahib, if you follow one madhahib, you will find at some points it's pretty strict and at some points it's very easy. Right? At some points you feel, wow, this is advantageous in comparison to other fix. And then you realize at some point, other points, it's not. And the point, that's why I'm a firm believer that you take one and you follow it, you're going to get a healthy balance of things that are tough and challenging and things that are easy. You're going to get a healthy balance. Whereas if you're banging around, as many people do in fiqh, and I don't believe in that at all, right? Then at that point, you're just going to be looking for, you're going to be like a seamstress sewing together all the easy opinions And what is the methodology here? And nafs. Who was your imam? Your nafs. Right? Your ease is your imam. No, I would rather a mujtahid scholar to be my imam. Not my, my ease and my nafs. Right? To be my imam. Right? So, uh, another thing that, uh, actually this triggered my thinking about Imam Malik, uh, Rahimahullah, radiallahu ta'ala. Imam Malik, he said advice that's very important for us uh, to keep. And, And honestly, I have to say that I didn't keep it in a number of ways, indulging people on Facebook and Twitter. Imam Malik said that the dignity of a man, the honor of an individual, is his not sitting with fools. And sitting here means engaging them in any way, shape, and form. To not engage with fools right dopes and rude people the other day oh my gosh i had to deal with one of the rudest people that i have ever met on facebook and and he seemed smart so i tried to uh, actually you know hear him out and every time i would just give him an inch right he was just extremely rude and i woke up the next day thinking to myself Something's wrong, right? Because I, you know, you know, you have an experience with someone and it leaves you feeling uh, horrible. Like, I either wasted my time, I kept getting disrespected, and the person has no manners at all, okay? And I realized, subhanAllah, right? It's, it should follow Imam Adik's advice, right? Leave off fools. And Quran, there's a Quranic word for fools, which is called as-sufaha. And they are people of weak judgment, Okay? People of weak judgment. And if you have bad manners, then no matter how philosophically, um, you know, how many PhDs that you've done, okay, however much you know, if you have bad manners, then you're a safi. It's as simple as that. You're a safi. Quran says, لتوتسفها amwalakum." أَمْوَالَكُمْ Don't give fools your money. What's more important, time or money? Right? Allah says, uh, don't give fools your your, your money. So what's مَفْهُومُ الْأَوْلَ More appropriate. Don't give them your time. Don't give them your attention. right? Fools. So debating them on Facebook and Twitter is something, I just quit. I, I refuse to do it anymore. And to be honest with you, lately I don't even be looking at the comments on the page, to be honest with you. Because I feel like it pulls you down. And, and why do I need to uh, expose my ears and my eyes to words that yeah, probably most of them are, like, my friends and supporters on the page, and I learned a lot from them, right? There are some men and women on the page that I could uh, honestly say that I, I've i uh, uh, learned a lot from them, and I benefit from them, right? And I have no problem, uh, and I love reading their commentary. However, right there are increasingly, as the numbers grow, uh, a lot of comments that, you, you know, you just feel like you just... Um, someone spit in your eyes. That's how you feel. You feel like someone just spit in your eyes. You know? Uh, and, and this is an absolute waste of time. So, uh, increasingly, I don't even read the comments. And here's the thing. Uh, from Imamatic's principles is not to entertain doubters. Not even to listen to the argument of someone who is trying to convince you against Something that you know for certain as a foundation of the religion, and and many of the scholars have said that the reason that many people go astray is they're opening their ears to everyone who says something. Right? They open their ears to everything, everyone who says something, and there's a delicate balance between being closed-minded and being. Uh, the incorrect, or I would say misguided version of open-minded, right? When there is a foundational principle of the religion that you know with certainty, you have with certainty. Uh, And how do you have certainty? Because you're emotionally like just rigid? No. Because you were taught it. You know the roots of it. You see how many of the ulama are in support of it. You know it's absolutely certain. You have, uh, there is a, if not a consensus, then a large majority around it, okay, a large majority upon it, and you've seen the evidence yourself, okay, then at that point, when someone tries to argue against it, you're wasting your time, you don't need to listen, and most people do listen because of the fear of being called close-minded. Okay. And I have gave an example. I gave an example of this on a post recently. You go and get engaged. Right. You go and get engaged. Are you going to turn around now if someone says, hey, listen, I know you just got engaged to Fatima, but let me tell you about Saida over here. Right. Wait, what are you going to do? you're going to hang up the phone right away, right? You better, you better, right? You're going to end it right away. Or even something more basic, something more basic, okay? When you buy something that is of any value, okay? When you walk by the store, another store that sells that stuff, there's like an unwritten rule, don't go in, don't look, because you might end up seeing something better than what you got, and then you're going to regret what you got, right? You're going to regret what you got. Okay. So um, uh, this concept of listening, opening your ears to everything, you don't have to do it. You're going to lead yourself astray if you do this on Facebook even. Okay. If you do this on Facebook and Twitter and all these things, you're going to end up honestly leading yourself astray. Okay. And uh, letting yourself just be confused and, uh, you know, Uh, These types of things. So I think that's something to to think about in terms of our wasting our time, our exposing ourselves to things we do not need uh, to expose ourselves to. And trust me, when you do this, you will find yourself with so much time on your hands to do what you really want to do and what you really believe in doing, right? And you're going to get better at it, okay? And when you get better at a real skill, every it, it's far more valuable than being well connected right you know the connections will come by themselves, but to be highly skilled okay to be highly skilled in a trade is uh, uh, is is far superior than to be full of connections and i know many there are many people out there right many people out there who are uh Very well connected and they don't, it doesn't translate. It doesn't translate into wealth, money making, monetization. It doesn't translate into affecting society, right? In any positive, long lasting way. What does translate into all these things is that you have a skill, right? And that you know how to do something very well and you spend hours upon hours upon hours upon hours, you know, sharpening your skills. And social media really just drowns a lot of people's time, right? If you misuse it, I would say, if it's misused. And I think that reading everyone's comments and scrolling through the comments of strangers does not, if it brings you one benefit, it brings you a thousand waste of time, right? that's how it is, right? And, you know, the idea of eating things you wouldn't eat any food that you see, right? You don't go around with your mouth open, right? Something could come into the, into your mouth, right? So why is it that you go with your eyes open looking at everything that's out there? Right? Why is that? It's because is this type of mental peer pressure. It's all psychological that, um, we have to be up to date. You have to be out there you got to know what's going on right uh, you have to be some, uh, as if something they're giving something out at the end of the day on these on these social platforms that's what it's as if it's as if you're they're giving something out at the end of the day right which it's it's you're going to end up in regret that's what you're going to end up with in pure regret right because nothing's being given out right and you're going to end up with no benefit right Uh, And you end up feeling empty at the end of the day of of these sessions of of web surfing, right? So, uh, you know, we strung together a number of thoughts. You know, we started off with this backstabbing issue that people, it's natural that people have an admixture of love and hate for people. But we have to sort of suppress, you know, suppress how we handle when we hate someone, right? And when we dislike someone. We have to suppress it, and one of the best ways is to realize, you know, whatever people do, probably we've done the same thing, right? We've probably done the same thing, and then we moved on to this. The concept of suppressing from uh, to public shaming, and and I gave you know my summary two cents thoughts on that is that the whole thing has become on the accused versus the uh, accusers. And which is totally not the point. No victim of any abuse and no, uh, person of authority whose behavior needs to be corrected is being rectified. No one's benefiting who needs to benefit. Okay. By these public shaming. And it's an example of two systems crashing or being mixed in a really weird admixture. It's like mixing salad and cereal, right? Um, where the system that has a very a very high level of uh, uh, you know gender relation uh, gender relations conditions does not endorse public shaming, and public shaming is only endorsed and used by uh, not endorsed but you know used it's a tool of people who don't have you know these same manners right that we have okay so uh, you know it's just a good example. Of how when you mix these two things, you get some this this odd thing of public shaming someone for something that you know uh, for the, the for some sin that they did. When the idea of exposing people itself is highly dubious, if not directly prohibited, right? exposing people's sins like this. Uh, the only time that it's permissible to expose people's sins is, let me tell you, is when there is uh, harm. Okay, when they are harming people. Okay, and you better bring really good evidence if you're going to tell us someone's harming. Okay, and I'm not going to get into whether or not I'm just speaking in theory. I'm not going to try to apply this to anyone's special situation. Or when the person himself is open to is is themselves uh, doing their sin publicly, then you could talk about it. There's no problem in talking about it, All right? And then we shifted to um, the issue of of kids and and how difficult that is. And how we have to make it constantly seem open and never make the issue seem closed and uh, tight, even though we might actually have to have uh, some limits. We have to have limits. It's a ridiculous idea that we're just leaving these tablets and phones and computers for youth. Why don't you just put them in the street then? The street is safer for him uh, or her than to just have uh open access to the internet. Okay. Uh the street is safer. You know? Uh the the type of public stuff that um, uh or the type of stuff that goes on in uh on the on, online, right, is uh you know, you know what it is. I don't need to go into that. Uh and then lastly, we rounded it out with uh MM advice avoid fools. Trust me, people. Avoid fools. Don't talk. Don't, don't engage them. It doesn't matter what some atheist tells you on the internet. It doesn't matter what some progressive says. If they bring up something that you need to address, address it on your own platform. Don't argue back with these reformers, progressive, atheists, liberals, what have you. Okay. Don't argue back with them. There is, there is no benefit, right? You're bringing yourself down, but take the point. That needs to be made and make it on your own platform. That's what I've always done. I've never commented. I, I can count the times I commented on someone else's post, right? Why should I, uh, you know, engage and, and, and go onto their post and height and boost up their thing if I disagree with them? No, I will go, right? Make the point on my page where I got the driver's seat, right? And that's, uh, that's, I think the way to go. All right. So, uh, Jazakumullah Khairan. I pray that everyone is having a uh, blessed week. If you're listening on the release day on Thursday, then Jum'ah Mubarak, right wherever you are, England, Australia. A lot of love comes from Australia. A lot of love comes from Australia, right? A lot of love comes from Birmingham. I love Birmingham, right? If I had to move, if I had to move, I would. I don't know if I could live in Birmingham. The cloudiness, I think I have this idea that it's very cloudy. That's England, right? 75% cloudy? I don't know. That's what I think, right? But definitely England would be a place where I'd spend a couple months of the year. Australia is a great place if you really want to get away from everything. Just psychologically, the feeling that you are so far away from the world, it's it's, it's almost a scary feeling, right? Like for someone who is 40 minutes from New York City, right? And that feeling that well, New York City is right there, when the idea, the feeling that you are like literally twenty four hours away from uh, wherever you are going to go flying, uh, was an odd feeling, but it was a great feeling for a temporary trip. And Sydney would definitely be one of the places. I haven't been to Melbourne or any of these other places, but Sydney was a really hip city. Uh, you know, I loved Sydney, and I loved the guys there. Um, I've always felt that Italy was still a great place to live because it's got the sun. It's a foreign country. Like if you want to get away from everything, I don't speak Italian. I love listening to the Italian language. It's got a country feel, but it also has big cities. And, I mean, the olive oil. They got olive oil and coffee. I survive on olive oil and coffee, right? Uh, to me, you know, the food is – it's olive oil with some food on top, Right. To me, nothing beats, you know, those two things. Uh, where else, you know, Scandinavia is a place I've always wanted to go. Uh, you know, uh, those ice hotels. I'm really into the idea of like, it must be a very spiritual thing to 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 be existing 18 hours sometimes in the dark, right? The 18 hours of dark, right? And they're way up there, and I get the feeling that it's a clean country. And let me tell you, unfortunately. Uh, I, it's true that in a lot of countries where the Muslims go, it suddenly stops being a clean country. That's very sad. You know, we Muslims, we have cl- cleanliness in our Tawhid. We have cleanliness in our tahara. We have cleanliness in terms of physical cleaning after going to the bathroom. We have cleanliness in terms of our uh, issues of sex and marriage. Like we don't go sleeping around. We're not supposed to be sleeping around, right? Okay. We have cleanliness in a lot of in our food. Why is it that we still have sloppiness in our outward? Like the least important thing is the outward. The most important cleanliness is, you know, cleanliness of food, cleanliness when it comes to sex and sexuality, cleanliness when it comes to actual tahara of the private parts after going to the bathroom. We have wudu. Why is it, though, that we embrace sloppiness? It's amazing. It's really sad, to be honest with you. Because most of the kuffar are the exact opposite. Right, I mean they got diseases, which diseases only comes from filth, right? Di- so uh, 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 diseases, STDs comes from dirtiness in sexual habits, right? So they have that. There's no tahara rules. There's no shaving. If you look at the hadith of the uh, the prophetic sunnas, we are supposed to shave the hairs from our private parts all the way back to our rear. We're supposed to remove all those hairs. Right? So that the Najasa doesn't get caught into it. Right? If you go and look, Imam Nawawi tells us we are supposed to remove the hair in the front, all the way to the hair to the back. The dubur. So that the Najasa doesn't catch onto it. I mean we have such a deen that focuses on cleanliness, but when you think of a place like let's say Norway or Sweden, and then they tell you oh the Muslims are there and the people are complaining. And why are they complaining? Because their Muslims are now making it dirty. Unbelievable. So it just doesn't make any sense to me. We have every all the ingredients to be obsessive-compulsive. There are two things that the Muslims, you know, are obsessive-compulsive about. Literally obsessed with. Through their history. Number one, cleanliness. And number two, reading. Reading. Okay? We are obsessed with uh, reading and we are, are obsessed with cleanliness. And now today, I have to say, I don't know if that's still the case, right? And that's sad. And to me, the, uh, the sign of our advancement and our nearness to Allah even is how much are we reading and how clean are we, right? Are we obsessed with education and are we clean? And what I find is that when we part from uh, the path of Allah, we are cursed on the issue of both education right, and cleanliness. We become an ignorant and dirty people. And are you going to tell me right now that the Muslims cannot be categorized by these two things? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say we can be, we can uh, easily, someone can negate that we are categorized by ignorance, right, and dirtiness. And that's a big shame. It's very sad, right? It's very sad. Right? So, yeah, another little, uh, you know, tangent there. But nice places out there in the world, and honestly, wherever you are, you should convince yourself that the best place is your own home in your own city okay and be happy with what Allah gave you and may Allah Azza bless you all and make sure you're always making du'a for the entire Ummah Ya Rab irham, waslih, waghfir, wastur, wahfad wa tajawaz an sayy'ati Muhammad sallallahu sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sallam alhamdulillah rabbil alamin.